Today's scripture reading comes from Acts 4, 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the, the high priest, and Caiaphas, then John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled by the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people of the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that no notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, thank you. Man, what a compelling text. I know it was long, uh, but thank you guys. May we... May we never give up the public reading of Scripture, right? Um, well, good morning, church family. My name is, is Jordan Green, if you don't know, and I am a resident pastor here at Leewood. And if you're new to Christ community, uh, the residency is unique. And I'd love to just, to just chat about it a little bit, but, you know, because it's an opportunity for Christ community to pour into others, to hire seminary graduates um, and, and have them work and, you know, run through the ringer for two years uh, as a pastor, to work and to learn, uh, to learn under those like Tom Nelson uh, and even our very own Andrew Jones. <laughs> you can believe it. <laughs> uh, it's, been, it's been such a huge blessing on my life, on our family's life, and we're just filled with gratitude, one, for your generosity, um, and secondly, really just for putting up with us, because uh, I know we're a handful. So thank you guys. I want to say that. And I know over the past couple years, uh, we've got to know each other a little bit, I think, right? Uh, and I probably share more with you than my wife wants me to. 
Um, sorry, babe, but here we go again. Because um, you probably know, I, I love superheroes. I love comic book heroes. And when I was a kid, I wanted nothing more than to be just like one. And in fact, when I was just three years old, just three years old, almost the age of my daughter now, I knew I could be just like Superman. I knew it. I was, I was so confident, in fact, right, that I put on a cape, I pulled on my dad's size 11 rubber boots, and I jumped off our front porch in an attempt to fly. I didn't get very far. <laughs> and the result, in fact, was actually not one but two black eyes. <laughs> it was a bold move. But I was imitating bold characters, and isn't that the point of superheroes anyway? They inspire us. We put ourselves into their story and wonder if we would react the same way. They make us ask what that courage looks like in our own lives. They make us want to be bold. And that's the point. And that's the point of Acts, the story that we come to today. It makes us want to put on our capes and fly, stick it to the man, to be men and women of courage and boldness. In Acts, we find this is the beginning days of the church as we know it. And it's so exciting. That story, it's so compelling. It's like, it's like a new startup company, some innovation. Let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. Luke writes this narrative, this, this history of the early church, because he wants us to keep that fire, to see ourselves in the story, to imitate these first believers. I mean, how would you have reacted then? And how should we act today? How do we carry on what began some 2,000 years ago with the same courage and the same boldness? You see, the Christians that we find in the beginning of the church are the same sort that we find here in this room today, sitting right among us. It's the same boldness that continues to build the church today. But what does it look like? Where does this strength come from? And how do we find it? So as we jump into this story, in Acts 4, 1 through 31, a lot of text today, we have to understand the bold claim of Christianity, the bold presence it creates, and the bold faith it requires. So that's going to help us chart through this narrative together, the claim, the presence, and the faith. So if you have your Bibles, would love for you to open up to Acts 4 um, as we read through this together, because our, day, our, our text today is actually the conclusion of the episode that we started last week. So if you remember last week, as, as Andrew preached uh, for us, Peter healed a man uh, who was born lame, who was lame from birth. And as you might expect, you know, this sort of thing starts to turn a few heads. And now Peter has the attention of all the people around. And like any pastor worth his salt, uh, with all the people looking at him, he starts to preach. And, <laughs> but what we find, while Pete, right in the middle, while Peter is preaching, some others are getting annoyed. And rather than wait for Peter to finish speaking, they confront him right in the middle. They just, they interrupt him. And that's where we pick up this story today. Because, you know, it seems that, that with Christianity, you know, if you're doing it right, you're probably offending someone, somewhere. And it's as true both then and is, as it is now. And there are lots of, uh, lots of reasons Christianity might be offensive to people. But at its core, it's offensive because as Christians, we make a bold claim. Look with me at these first few verses in Acts 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them 
greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. It's the beginning of conflict in Acts. And it all goes downhill from here to the point that in chapter 7, one of their own, Stephen, is stoned to death. And the seeds of that conflict are starting right here. Here we find, we find all the Jewish people, the religious leaders with power, gathered together to interrupt Peter. The priests, temple police, and the Sadducees. And the texts tell us they interrupt his sermon because they're annoyed. And I'm sure many of you have been annoyed in the middle of a sermon or two. Um, hopefully not one of mine. Um, but thank you for not interrupting today. And do you notice why they were annoyed when you look at this? They're not mad because they healed a man who was born lame. They're annoyed because of the teaching for a bold claim, specifically proclaiming that in Jesus there is resurrection from the dead, that in Jesus dead things are given new life. It's a message of restoration, as we talked about last week. It's a message of hope. It's a message that gets the authorities worried, lands them in jail, but spreads like wildfire. It says 5,000, the text tells us. And then the next day, they come back, and they're surrounded by the, city's, the, the Jewish cultural and political elite. And they're asked to give an account of themselves. They ask them just one question. By what power or name did you do this? They want to know who's getting the credit. And, and you know, P- Peter probably could have just said God, right? And, and they would have been satisfied. Everyone could have went home happy. I mean, there's nothing theologically wrong with that. But he doesn't do that because he wants to be absolutely clear. And Luke, as we read this story, wants us to see that Peter isn't alone when he's being questioned. Look at what Luke says. He says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to answer them. We are meant to see that the strength to speak this truth to power comes from the Holy Spirit. That we're not alone in it. And Peter's, Peter's answer is so clever, right? He says, so you're asking me, you want to know about a good deed done to a crippled man. Well, let it be known to everyone, that this good deed of making a man whole is done by and through the name of Jesus the Messiah, the same man that you crucified and God raised from the dead. And Peter lays it on even thicker than that, right? By turning to a building metaphor we might be able to relate with, he's quoting Psalm 118, one of the most quoted psalms in the entire New Testament. He's saying that the one you rejected as Messiah has become the very foundation, the centerpiece of what God is doing in this world now. The one you thought was weak, was unworthy, was unusable, turns out to be the most beautiful and worthy person who has ever lived. And then Peter makes the boldest claim of all. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And I have to tell you guys, this statement is just as offensive now as it was then. Because, I mean, it's a claim on absolute truth. And don't we live in a day when no one has the market on absolute truth? But if you call yourself a Christian, 
it comes with a bold claim. You can't just say, well, you've got your way and I've got mine. As Christians, we make a bold claim on a true reality. That salvation comes through no one else. Just as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There there is no other name. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other blood that can save. And notice that, that when Peter speaks of salvation, it is such a comprehensive term. He's talking about both for the here now and the hereafter. I mean, look, the man who was healed is standing right there. He gives witness, does he not? That this message not only has power to save later, but has power to save now. This man gives witness that salvation is not only a private matter, but a public expression of who we are and what we do. Because, I mean, think about it. If If this salvation was just something about me and Jesus and maybe something about heaven thrown in afterwards, I mean, what would the religious authorities really care Rather, this bold claim impacts all of life. The salvation leads to the good life now and the good life to come. But it only comes through one name. It's a bold claim and a public proclamation. You guys might be familiar with Leslie Newbegin, but a prolific author, a missionary, and he describes it this way. It says, When the church affirms the gospel as public truth, It is challenging the whole of society to wake out of the nightmare of subjectivism and relativism, to escape from the capacity of the self turned in upon itself, and to accept the calling which is addressed to every human being to seek, acknowledge, and proclaim the truth. For we are part of God's creation which which He has equipped with the power to know the truth and to speak the praise of the whole creation in response to the truthfulness of the Creator. I love that. To speak the praise of the whole creation. He's saying this message is a public truth. It's a bold claim that we must boldly profess. And I don't know about you guys, but I was really challenged by this message, by this text, because it's so personal. I don't know if you guys feel it, but it speaks directly against my fears, my own weaknesses. And maybe you guys see it too, but our problem, you know, as we try to think about it in today's context, it's more likely that we're afraid of offending people and looking bad, ruining our reputation or maybe some vocational opportunity. And this story directly challenges that idea. It directly challenges you and I And, of course, I'm not saying we should all be jerks, right? There are a lot of jerks out there. But by definition, we are an offensive people. And this is terribly convicting because I know I'm a terrible people pleaser. I love to keep the peace, but sometimes I know that that can keep me from saying anything at all. Have you ever felt like that? Or maybe you guys are just more offensive than I am. Now, I'm not saying we need to go standing on the corner, the street corner with our signs saying, you're all going to hell. We're going to get to what this should look like in a minute. But we do have to recognize that as Christians, we have a bold claim. It's not one we can disregard. It's not one we can shy away from. It's one that's core to who we are. And here's the thing. Our bold claim isn't just a claim. It's, it's a reality. 
It's a mark on what is true, and it has power. And at its core, at its core, when we look at this story, this bold claim, it's not simply about us, but it's for others. It's for the benefit of others. Why else does Peter think that others need to hear it? It leads us, right, to seek restoration in our world, through our work, through our families, through every aspect of our lives. Look at Peter's argument, right? He's so careful, so careful to connect the good deed, the healing, with the bold claim. And that's something we can never separate. How do you want to tell who the jerks are out there? How can you tell if someone's just being a jerk or someone that's being truly bold? Look and see if good deeds seem to follow behind them. You know, the jerks out there, they just want to make themselves heard. But the way Peter does it, he's out there to make others whole. And we find that this bold claim leads to our bold presence. Look with me at verse 13. Now when they, the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Here are these uneducated, common men, and yet they had something about them, didn't they? Something that reminded others of Jesus. They saw this boldness. And it characterizes Christians today as as much as it did then. Now, we've talked a little bit about this, but when you think about boldness, I know a lot of pictures probably come and run through your mind. From pictures of people protesting, uh, you know, or to ridiculous Facebook posts that make people like me hit the, you know, block this person's post from my feed. We must acknowledge, we must, that there are many out there today who have engaged in activities of hate under the banner of boldness. But that's not what we're called to. So what should this bold presence look like today? What should people see in followers of Jesus? It feels like, I don't know if you guys, it feels like this is the question we're always asking, right? What does it look, what does sharing my faith look like? What does it mean day to day? What might it look like for you on Monday? So to help us think about this in our day and in our lives, help us think about it tomorrow, I want to pick on some of you guys um, because I think a lot of you guys do it better than you think you do. So a few weeks ago, we were having this conversation about sharing our faith at work, and I was told the story of someone's co-worker, who this co-worker would describe herself as agnostic, but she married a Catholic and was pressured to get involved with church, uh, but doesn't really want anything to do with religion. And this co-worker would regularly vent her frustration to her other co-workers with her family and their faith, and then recently asked this question. She asked this question of the person describing it to me. She said, do you have to spend your Valentine's Day going to an Ash Wednesday service? how would you respond? What does bold presence look like? Hopefully you were planning to go to Ash Wednesday service. Well, they were able to show excitement and joy. They actually said that Ash Wednesday is one of their favorite services that they go to, to which the coworker had no retort, but only the opportunity to see the expression of faith in others. Because you see, sometimes bold presence simply looks like listening to people's experience with faith. It looks like sharing your own experience of church and life with those around you in conversation. 
I mean, I could also point to the countless times many of you have brought your friends to me to say, brought your friends to church and said, hey, meet this person. Or I could point to some of my friends who have just kept inviting their agnostic neighbors to dinner for conversation, for laughs, all the while letting them know they were Christian, letting them know how it impacted their lives and their decisions. They invited them to some evening church events, and now several years later, these neighbors are asking honest questions about their own faith. This, this is bold presence. This is consistent presence. This is a faithful presence. You see, boldness, it doesn't have to mean this dramatic confrontation or persecution like it does here with Peter. I think what it really means is just being willing to risk something for the sake of the gospel. It means being faithful where you're at. I remember when Sarah Beth was, uh, when we lived up in Chicago and Sarah Beth was working up there, she was the only other person at her whole workplace, other than one other who ended up leaving, that claimed to be a Christian. And boldness for her meant just letting people know that she was a Christian. And usually, you know, the following response was something like, does that mean I can't cuss around you anymore? And I won't tell you how Sarah Beth responded because it's inappropriate for here, but... That's not true, (laughs) but she's not here, so. (laughs) You see, boldness might just mean risking a little awkwardness or a little relational loss. It might seem small, but you know what? You know, when people in Sarah Beth's office were going through a hard time, who do you think they turned to to talk about it? They came to share with her. Someone who had a different sort of hope. So how might we synthesize this? How might we come up with a few ideas of sharing our faith? Here are a couple suggestions, and none of this is new and probably overlaps with stuff you've heard others say. But maybe we just let others around us know that you're a Christian. And not not like it's the first thing you say as soon as you go up and meet someone, but it comes out in a natural conversational way. Or maybe ask people what they believe in, what their faith journey is, and just listen. Just listen without rebuttal. Maybe it means sharing your own struggles and problems with others, letting them know how your faith informs how you deal with it, how you process things, how you make decisions. Maybe it means offering to pray with someone who's going through a rough time. And if you have time, maybe it means sharing your own journey, your own story, your own walk of faith. Tell about your own life. You know, the truth is, There's no one way to share our faith on Monday. What we often need to get better at is really just sharing with one another what it looks like for us. In the same way that when we read Acts, and it gives us this sort of like case study, doesn't it, of what a bold presence looks like, we each help spark our imaginations and give plausibility to what it means for me to share my faith. If you're in a community group, This is a great space for this sort of conversation and accountability, discussing the barriers and the opportunities to what it looks like to having a bold presence, to sharing your faith. Because, you know, I know we'd all like to say that we'd risk it all, right? Echoing what Peter says, it's so dramatic in verse 19 and 20. You just see him standing there alone against the multitudes. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak about what we have seen and heard. 
But most of us, myself included, aren't even ready to risk a conversation, let alone everything. So do you think we could just start there? Where can we be bold this week, on Monday? Maybe it means letting someone know we're a Christian. Maybe it means asking a tough question or just listening. Maybe it means praying. Or maybe it means praying for the boldness to take a step. Which brings us to our last section of our passage where we discover the source of boldness. How our bold claim and our bold presence are found in a bold faith. So imagine that you've just been threatened and released. What do you do next? You run for the hills. (laughs) Well, that's not what they did. They ran to their friends. Okay, then what? Look, look what they do. And, and you've got to know that this is the beginning of this persecution for these folks. I mean, in the chapters we've already covered in Acts, it's generally been great. You know, the other preachers had fluff messages. It's not true, Andrew. It's, but it has been, right? People are believing. Healings are happening. But now it's getting difficult. Now there's conflict. So what do you do? Well, we find that the first response of these Christians to persecution is prayer. And look what they pray for. Or better yet, actually, let's look at what they don't pray for. <laughs> because it's everything you and I are most likely to pray for first, right? Comfort, deliverance, protection, a change in circumstance, the destruction of my enemies. They don't do that. Look at verses 29 and 30 with me. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, Lord, look at the threats, but more importantly, just give us the courage to keep doing what you've empowered us to do. Just give us the boldness to continue to change people's lives through us. I mean, here we find courage rather than comfort. And look, I want to be careful. I want to be clear. I want to be clear. There is nothing wrong with sometimes praying about our circumstances. We we find it all through the scriptures. But they don't go there right now. Because it's not the most important thing about the Christian life. Because above any circumstance, they are first and foremost devoted to God and his mission. I mean, what sort of of devotion is this? What sort of devotion is like this? I was trying to think of how to picture it, um, and it just reminded me of the devotion you would have for a king, right? Surely we've seen this in just about any book or movie, whether it's Maximus' devotion to Marcus Aurelius, St. Percival, Sir Percival's to King Arthur, Or a better picture, right, is Samwise Gamgee to Frodo Baggins. A lot of pictures there, but it would take an hour. It's an unswerving loyalty to continue to push forward no matter the cost, believing and trusting in the authority of the one you're following no matter how bad it gets. I mean, another word that we have for that is faith or faithfulness. And this sort of loyalty is an unshakable faith. A faithfulness that inspires boldness, inspires risk in the face of loss, 
This sort of unshakable faith believes that God won't leave them alone, that His Spirit is always with us, emboldening us. For a Christian, this boldness is a Spirit-given trust to risk anything, anywhere, being confident you'll come out alive, even if you die. Confidently trusting in this God, this King who reigns. It's why they start their prayer by quoting in Psalm 2. Look at, this, look at the start of this prayer with me in Acts 4, 24 through 28. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, here's the quote from Psalms, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, everyone, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This is a declaration. This is a declaration of who God is, and it's built around this quote from Psalms. And this psalm, it's a psalm of the king. As one commentator actually puts it, the point of citing Psalm 2 here is to confirm from Scripture that when the rulers of the world rise up against the Lord and his anointed, their attacks are doomed to failure. They are unshakably faithful, trusting that God who is working through them is in charge of it all, that God is sovereign over it all, that even though the rulers... And everyone seems to be against them. God is doing a great work. He is redeeming all things. He is calling a people to himself. And they turn to this king, this God, in their fear, in the face of threats, and they ask for more boldness to speak the gospel. You see, they knew they were weak. They felt it. And you probably do too. You can probably relate. But in this moment, you know, they weren't necessarily doubting God's ability or even his faithfulness to his promises. In that moment, they doubted themselves and so they asked for boldness. And so they pray, declaring the sort of God and king they worship and asking for the strength to continue. Knowing that this sort of boldness is only something given by God something brought by the Holy Spirit. Remember this boldness. It's a spirit-given trust to risk anything, anywhere, being confident you'll come out alive, even if you die. And it's something we pray for. Can you believe it? (laughs) Because in prayer, we're not defining our own strengths, right? We're admitting our weaknesses and asking God to step in. And God is eager He is eager to work through our weaknesses. You see, one of the greatest gifts that God is eager to give is boldness. The question really is whether we're ready to ask for it. I mean, what do your prayers look like? Do your prayers ever sound like the prayers of these early believers? I know mine don't often look like that. God is willing to grant this sort of boldness if we are willing to ask for it. 
Are you consistently asking for this boldness? This time tomorrow, on Monday, on Tuesday, every day of the week, no matter the cost. Because here's the thing. The reason boldness is one of the greatest gifts that God is eager to give. I mean, we see it here in the text, don't we? Because you cannot ignore a bold truth claim made by a truly bold person. We cover that there are poor pictures of boldness, but, but this image like Peter and John, this boldness that looks like Jesus, it's the sort of thing that the church prayed for over and over and over again. So that no matter what you're going through, it will cause people to ask, where do you get the power to talk and to live like that? What do you think? What do you think when you listen to the story of these first believers? Do you want to be a person with a bold claim, a bold presence, and a bold faith? I mean, I do. It's hard to listen to this text. It's hard to read this story and not want to jump right into it. But sometimes that's where it ends for us, doesn't it? We only want it, or we want to want it. We admire people who exhibit it. We're inspired by biographies of bold people. But we are much safer if we keep that boldness at a distance. We're much more comfortable if we only just want it. So are you willing to ask for it and prepared for God to answer? Because when we do, God will show up and people will take notice. At the end of our story, after the apostles and their friends prayed, what happens? Look at verse 31. We read, The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now your house might not shake, but God is ready to shake us out of our slumber. Are you ready? It's this sort of boldness that draws others in. This sort of boldness transforms lives. This sort of boldness will build the church. It's this sort of spirit-empowered boldness by which Jesus has built the church for millennia. God has been working through men and women, people like you and I, for generations. It's the picture that we're, actually, that we're given at the end of Acts and meant to carry with us today. Acts 28, we find the Apostle Paul, who we haven't been introduced to yet, under house arrest in Rome. And here's the last words. Here's, what we, here's the picture we get as Paul continues proclaiming the the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's this sort of boldness that built the church through Peter and John, through Paul, and through us today. And can you just imagine, can you just imagine with me if this sort of boldness was part of our community, if it was a part of our Monday, how the church would be transformed I mean, when's the last time you portrayed this unshakable faith? You know, when's the last time you put yourself out there? When's the last time you prayed for boldness? Not notoriety, but the strength to stand up for something we believe in. Look, God knows our fears. He sees the threats. He's aware of the difficulties. But he's bigger than it all. He's ready to give a boldness that only he can provide. Do we dare ask for it? Let's pray together. Father, you see the barriers and the threats against us and your church. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness.
while your hand goes before us working and moving. Grant to us that we may speak while you may work. Lord, I know this is a weakness for many of us because it's a weakness for me. So we pray that you would take our weakness and our fear and make something beautiful. Magnify your name through us with a strength we do not know and a boldness we don't often feel. Lord, may your spirit move in us each and every day. In Christ I pray. Amen.